Welcome to the Onassis Air Conversations. My name is Mirto Katsimicha. I'm a curator and cultural worker based in Athens and your host in this series of recorded encounters with the participants of Onassis Air. Founded on the principles of learning and doing with others, Onassis Air is an international research residency program in Athens initiated by the Onassis Foundation in 2019. They say that what happens in one place stays in that place. I cannot find a better way to describe all the things that have been happening inside the Onassis Air House since I first entered as a participant of the Critical Practices program in fall 2019. The truth is, it is not easy to transmit an open-ended process of relationing which is very personal and relevant to a specific place and moment in time. How can I then give you a glimpse into that process? Everything starts with a conversation. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking with the Onassis Air participants to shed light on their artistic practices and needs, as well as to reflect on ways of being and working together. In this conversation, I have the great pleasure to talk with Chrysanthi Kumyanaki. Chrysanthi is a visual artist based in Athens. Her practice, which comprises of different artistic media, such as prints, video, sound and metal constructions, focuses on language and the notion of translation through the creation of new symbolic systems and codes of communication. In fall 2019, we both participated in the Critical Practices program of Onassis Air. Today, we will talk about her research interest into public space and into nonverbal acts of communication, while discussing some of her individual projects, as well as her collective work at 3137, an artist-run space that she co-founded in 2012 and co-runs together with Cosmas Nicolaou and Paki Vlasopoulou. Hi, Mirto. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Uh, welcome to Pali Room. Um, thank you for, for joining uh, this conversation. It is my sheer pleasure to talk with you today, not only because we participated together in last year's program in the Critical Practices, which ran from September through uh, December 2019, but also, um, I realized while I was thinking about our conversation yesterday that uh, you were actually one of the very first people that I met in the Athenian art scene. We visited uh, your uh, exhibition, your project space, Artist Run Space 3137, with uh, Neon Curatorial Exchange and Nagya Yakumaki from London. And uh, since then, I've, of course, I've been following your work and we have uh, collaborated on quite a few occasions. So I'm really happy that we are doing this together. Thanks a lot for inviting me to you. I'm really happy to have a conversation with you and uh, to share all those, um, all those things that we shared through, through this three months period. Shall we start from uh, the beginning? Yes. So, Chrysanthi, your practice, which uh, develops through different artistic media, centers around the notion of language and translation. And you investigate acts of uh, nonverbal communication through the creation of your own semiotic systems and codes of communication. 
And so I would like uh, I would like you to um, tell us a few things about your practice. How did you start? Um, so um, as you said, uh, the the idea of uh, language and communication and translation are. Uh, in the focus of my practice the last few years, uh, which I actually realized quite recently, let's say. It's not that recent, but uh, I mean, the last uh, seven years or so, I've been, I've been working with these, uh, uh, with these things. And um, while I was, I was uh, working on this uh, since earlier, but um, we had we had the collaboration at uh, 3137 with um, Panos Papadopoulos and uh, Albert, Albert Mayer, who are uh, both artists and uh, had uh, been working together since earlier. And uh, I decided to collaborate it with them for uh, a performance we did at the space. And... Um, at this performance, like the, the the starting point of this was to to learn Ar Albert, uh, who is Austrian, Greek. So, uh, so I did. Uh, I made a, a font out of my mouth, which was de describing somehow the movements of the mouth that one one has uh, to make to pronounce a letter. So. Uh, ask to teach uh, Greek to someone else. Yes, yes. Uh, and we learned some basic uh, basic phrases like "I love you, you love me." And um, this was actually not a shifting point, but I, I realized that uh, my practice is about this thing, about the um, the movement of our body and the language. Um, and then um, I worked uh, on a series of, uh, of works that, was, um, that were about the, the slogans that I find in the public space at the streets of Athens. And uh, I translated them in, um, in a coding, in an alphabet, that um, I was the only one to understand. Actually, it was um, uh, it was a series of, of of works. Like the first one was uh, for a show at uh, the, the the Thessaloniki Biennale curated by Katerina Gregos, um, and uh, it was called uh, uh, what. Uh, what if God was a leftist intellectual? And anyway, it was uh, the, the the slogan came uh, out of a uh, of a slogan from the May '68, and um, uh, so I made this alphabet that was uh, that consisted of uh, plans of ideal cities that were designed in the Renaissance, and. Um, and I made the connection uh, uh, of uh, those political slogans that I found uh, outside in the public space uh, with the architecture of a city and how how this uh, ideal uh, design 
is connected to the ideals of the community. So the, the, the slogans that I used in the piece were uh, uh, gathered in the streets of Athens. But the, but the title came from this, from the May 68. Okay. This was back on 2015. Um, and, uh, and then I presented a, another version of this work at the state of concept when you were working there and then at, uh, at uh, Kadist, where I, I wrote, I actually wrote the slogans with my, uh, with pen while the first version was uh, printed, all was uh, like uh, posters um, that I found in the streets, let's say. It was like an archive of a, of a fictional, uh, of uh, fictional post, political posters. I remember that work and I remember uh, when you were installing it, which was on the vitrine of a State of Concept. And um, I, I find very interesting this decision to put it on the vitrine because it's also a way to reflect on all the things that um, on this alphabet, this language, which you cannot understand at the same time, but you were able to understand. Mm. Yeah, and then uh, after this piece, uh, I made uh, um, I made a work, uh, a solo show with um, Locus Athens at uh, Mendes. Um, a museum, a, a museum that uh, is part of Benaki museums, and it's an old uh, industry of uh, uh, threads. They're producing threads, and uh, there um, I created uh, um, a system of communication, let's say, between me and uh, several uh, other people, like a musician and two dancers. And, and this was also another, another important, let's say, point for my practice because uh, uh, I started collaborating with people for this work. And this is something that I also um, really still use and I like to do with my practice, to collaborate. And uh, actually all those... Um, alphabets or codings um, that I make are mostly like systems of communication and uh, because it's for me it's a bit hard to communicate my ideas through speech <laughs> I find this way of communication somehow <laughs> this, uh, this encrypted way of communication yeah, but uh, uh, still, there is some communication between uh, the people who are working on each piece. <laughs> yeah, it's not only about uh, creating a language, but it's also the act of translation with the yeah. different disciplines that uh, you um, you collaborate with, like for example, a dancer or the musicians. Yes, yes. So. Um, the critical practice program that we both applied uh, for and we both participated in uh, was uh, intended for practitioners who were experiencing a critical shift in their practice and needed the time to pause and reflect and reposition themselves. So um, I was thinking, 
what was this shift, uh, this critical point for you in your practice and you decided to apply for the residency? So when I applied for the residency, it was uh, just after a very productive period. And um, after a show, um, a, a big show that I did in Belgium at uh, Network Alst, uh, where I presented um, a body of work with uh, uh, reflections let's say, about my ideas about public space and uh, how we, we are also uh, part of it, how we create in the public space. And um, at this point, because I had presented this, uh, these works that I had been working for a long time, um, I really needed a shift in my work and um, uh, I had uh, very much the need of collaboration with uh, other practitioners as well uh, from other disciplines like uh, 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 dancers or um, uh, more, more fo focused in, uh, in theater that I was... Um, I was back then interested, but I didn't have uh, the chance to collaborate with. So it was um, uh, a chance for me to to find new collaborators or just uh, take some time with uh, other people. And uh, also to, um, because I'm always collaborating. I mean, uh, apart from my practice, because we also run 3137 and, and uh, at my studio, I'm always uh, living with two more artists. Let's, let's say, I, let's name these two artists. So you are running 3137 Artist Runs. With, uh, yes, with uh, Paki Vlasopoulou and Cosmas Nicolaou. We we are we are at the space since 2011, but our first show was at 2012, and um, so yeah, uh, I always uh, I was always working with other people, and I wanted to see how it would uh, work uh, if if I if I stayed with uh, some other people for some time from other fields that I don't know but with new pot potentials anyway uh, so this is why I applied at the program it's interesting because you were moving from one cohabitation to another and I'm not yes. sure whether uh, you were expecting for example to have your space in the house because when we applied and we got accepted, we didn't know how this would work out. We didn't have uh, an, an idea of the building and how we would share the space. For example, uh, me as a curator, I never have a studio space. So space for me was not perhaps so important. And uh, perhaps for a visual artist is something else. This is true. That was um, another thing that I had actually forgotten about. I mean, uh, this was also a reason to apply. It, was the, it wasn't the most important because I already had the studio, but to have an extra studio space on my own was something which didn't work, actually. 
But that's fine. That's all right. <laughs> I think uh, the sharing that took place here was uh, extravagant in that sense. What was the, your initial research question, let's say? My research question was uh, about the work in progress and um, w- what does the work in progress means in the public space, in the public sphere, and what does it, does it mean in the artistic practice? Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, we are a very small circle I mean the artists, and uh, we have um, we have uh, uh, a method of communication between us. But to speak with other people, it's another thing. So um, because of all this um, occupation in my work with uh, public space, I was looking at this this uh, word, the work in progress, and uh, how, what what do we mean by Uh, works in progress in the public space, like we're talking about infrastructural works. And but how is the city progressing? Like, um, uh, do we have um, a role in this, or uh, uh, are we just um, uh, uh, participating in uh, uh, in something that has? Um, um, has been planned for us. How do you interact yourself with public space as a methodology? Uh, I'm interested in, uh, in, uh, in different things. I mean, one thing is that uh, I'm looking at the walls, for example, of the city that we discussed a bit before, uh, as, um, as, as a public archive somehow of what, what's happening. Like, um, like the public news somehow. So if you walk, for example, uh, in Kukaki, you would see mostly slogans about the tourism and the Airbnb. Or uh, if you walk around the area of Omonia, you would see uh, mostly um, slogans about the assassination of uh, Zaki O or um, uh, the queerness and uh, identity issues anyway. Or uh, in Exarchia, there are more uh, classic slogans, let's say. Uh, uh, So it's, uh, um, it's like reading the news. This is what I like. And there's, um, uh, there's there's a continuous progress that you cannot predict. Um, because one day you might walk in the street and you might find a slogan and the next day it might be something else or exactly yes and there are also patterns of uh, actions like uh, the graffiti or uh, like uh, um, the gum for example on the pavements of the streets Uh, that we can say that there are new new uh, tiles made out of an action that we do, or uh, there are the the broken metal bars on the street out of accidents that are always there because no one uh, puts new one. Uh, so there's there's like a 
a, a, a new uh, a new vocabulary built out of us uh, that is also characteristic for uh, a city. I was about to say that because as we speak, I'm thinking about our perception of uh, public space and how we formulate our perception and how particular is uh, what we're discussing right now to Athens as a landscape, for example. Uh, yeah. Because Athens is is a city that has a lot of visual um, elements in terms of the slogans and the graffitis on the, on the walls in contrast to other let's say, European cities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To ask you if uh, you would be interested to do this kind of research in another setting or if you've thought about it. Yes, I've thought about it. And uh, uh, for example, uh, in Paris, uh, you can see uh, things like that, like uh, slogans in the street or uh, like uh, stickers on, uh, on uh, benches or on wall. It's a dirty city again. The gum is something also, the gum on the pavement is something very common to most of the uh, cities. Uh, okay, it's not, I mean, the, most of European cities are not uh, so much left like um, Athens, but uh, still, it's. I think it's a bit, uh, it, it's, a, it's a universal code somehow. Yeah. Universal. Yeah, but it's not only Greek, but uh, when someone visits Greece, of course, they will say about the graffiti. It's like a monument of the city. That's true. Yeah. I started, for example, um, this research, like uh, looking at uh, the different slogans of the areas and creating um, a, an archive of those uh, different areas, which was very also helpful for me later and now. You uh, you showed us some of your work in the second open salon. You also presented some work in progress. Yes, um, I presented uh, a draft, let's say, for um, for a piece that I'm actually showing now, uh, <laughs> and it was um, a uniform uh, where I was uh, writing with. Um, with uh, actual letters, uh, slogans that I gathered uh, in Athens, and, uh, and now the time has had ca has come actually to show this final piece, which is um, a, a performance that I'm doing with uh, an actress, uh, Eva Vlasopoulou. Uh, uh, at, at uh, a group show called uh, uh, Statues That Don't Move, Don't Speak, Then Don't Laugh in the area of Cato uh, Patricia. It is an exhibition in the public space. Yes, it's an exhibition at uh, the public space in several different uh, uh, squares. And uh, my piece takes place uh, at the basketball court, a small basketball court. And so during the summer period, I gathered slogans from this area, which was uh, 
of course, mostly about racism uh, and uh, fascism because uh, the area is mostly uh, inhabited by um, uh, immigrants. Um, and the Greeks are not so um, they, they don't they don't really live there. Um, um, so I found really interesting to to gather all this um, uh, this information. What kind uh, of slogans were were they were they political? Very much political, mostly about uh, uh, like um, uh, fight racism, destroy racism, uh, um, about the right wing governments, about the Golden Dawn. Um, so again, it's a, it's another chapter of uh, the city, let's say. Uh, and um, I thought it was interesting to make a, a costume for uh, Eva um, uh, with those slogans that were uh, written again in a new abstracted language, but that you, that someone can uh, more easily, let's say, uh, de de in, in decrypt, translate. Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, Eva, um, uh, let's say she she acts a public monument, and she wears all those uh, slogans. So it can be from uh, uh, she could be from a mine in the streets, or um, or um, a vandalized monument, and I actually use the method. I didn't use, I, I imitated the method, let's say, for her clothes, the, the batik, uh, but I'm talking about the African batik. I know, but we will discuss a bit later about the other. Uh, and so because there's um, a big African community there, um, I thought of imitating a batik textile with, um, with uh, my drawings, my language. So it's like mixing the two languages together, the, the Greek with uh, the African, let's say, and somehow change the tradition, like, um, yeah, applying some uh, contemporary um, talk in, the, in, the, in traditional methods. For me, it's interesting to, to see how you turn this into a living uh, monument, let's say. Mm -hmm. Also in contrast to the very first stages of the work, because when, we, when you made the uniform uh, last year as a work in, in progress, um, and you use this kind of textile, which is not really a textile, it's a material which is almost transparent and... Um, uh, you can actually, when someone wears it, you can see what is uh, behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, yes. Um, and, and you were hanging one of these uniforms in the space. So for me, that also, uh, let's say, represents 
a kind of symbolism of the absent body. And also when we see, let's say, the slogans in the streets, there is the absence of the author or the bodies who wrote that language. And now you're giving it back, uh, you're giving the body back to the language. You're very right that uh, the, the, the transparent of this textile that I used um, has um, uh, the, the idea of absence. Uh, the absence is very there somehow. Um, and um, now my decision of uh, having a body, working with a performer, was, I think, because I was thinking of uh, the monuments as something that is not static. Um, and it's changing. And uh, this I is my... say that uh, in this performance, uh, you cannot see the face of the performer. So it's not like you are actually giving a body. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was actually a big conversation that we had with Eva. And uh, we both uh, agreed that if we would like to speak, let's say, about a monument, uh, we wouldn't like to have a face because uh, thinking of monuments, uh, you always think of uh, a, a person. So um, um, who is actually, like, uh, what does this monument stand for and why, uh, why um, someone, someone who is not a persona cannot be a monument? Well, um, going back to the batik. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to move the discussion a little bit. Mm -mm -mm. So last year we had a three-month program which was full of activities. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were quite a few intense uh, workshops and seminars uh, and a trip that we did together. So I was wondering which moment stayed with you up until now? Uh, there are a few moments. Uh, for me, uh, the trip to Indonesia was uh, really amazing. It was uh, a really amazing experience. And uh, I'm not just talking about the place that uh, we had never visited before, or it's, not, it's quite hard to go there, but uh, uh, also the things that we visited and the program that uh, Elia and uh, Riot made for us was uh, super interesting for me. Uh, talking about the collectives that we had the chance to meet and to see how the artistic community works there and um, to see how, how much more uh, united, let's say, the artists are there. Uh, to the traditional te techniques, it was very interesting for me to see uh, both the traditional music, the gamelan music, the um, the, the the shadow theater, uh, and the technique of batik. And um, I remember when we we, we visited this uh, uh, performance of uh, um, the shadow theater that was actually 
Um, it was a touristic thing. It wasn't something very executive, but still it was um, uh, like uh, I found amazing that uh, we entered uh, the backstage of um, uh, of the of the piece, and uh, you could see the uh, the musicians and uh, how they are dressed and. Uh, uh, how much time they spend together there um, playing very quietly their music. Like, um, I, like I realized they're actually having, having some good time together. They were spending a lot of time together. So um, I really liked that uh, the whole backstage was uh, much more interesting than the, the front than the front of the performance. Like, um, um, it was uh, interesting to see the, um, the puppets that were actually so much carefully made for the player. Like, the, the audience couldn't really see the, the, the puppets in front of the screen. They couldn't see the details. They couldn't see yeah. the color um uh, the very much detailed figure so uh this for me was uh like taking care of the player rather than the audience and at the same time because we uh, had the chance to meet uh those gamelan musicians i remember that they said that all those performances were made for the palace and uh actually the the people couldn't couldn't visit the performances they could be either behind the scenes or uh, or they couldn't go so it was really interesting to see that the interesting part wasn't for the privileged people but for uh, the rest and uh, this was actually something very very sensitive for me it was um, something that that I really appreciated somehow. Going back to the, the part where the tradition uh, meets, like, let's say, the collective practices, yeah. the chance to visit, um, that also goes for me a lot, how all the things that we we watched from the Gamelan to the Shadow Puppet Theatre, there is this collectivity that is kind of embedded mm-hmm. in the culture. Yes, yes, um, but I think tradition anyway is connected with uh, collectivity. I mean, uh, talking about, for example, uh, dance, uh, most of the traditional dances are for uh, a community of people, usually a local community of people, uh, or for uh, two people. Uh, and this is something that I'm always thinking of lately. I mean, um, uh, looking at uh, how those uh, community gatherings um, refer to to a specific community, a local. What what does the local means uh, in all this? And um, or who are the people who participate in all this? Like, 
those are things that I think we can reconsider today. And uh, also, I think if we could reconsider and reimagine tradition today, it's like trying to shift or alter a bit the history. Um, I think that, at least in, in Greece, from my perspective, I always perceive traditions as something very conservative. Mm -hmm. It's important to think of it as uh, something that also inspired, let's say, communities. And perhaps if uh, this exposure to other kinds of traditional cultures makes us think that, this is also very important. I very much agree with you. I always had the same idea about tradition. Uh, I, I, I always thought of it as something very, very conservative. And, uh, uh, but thinking of, uh, like, if you think that tradition is something that isn't, it, it's changing, it can change. I, I think it, it can shift from the conservative to something more, um, to shift to a tool somehow. Yeah, and if we think uh, of the etymological root of the word in Greek, which is paradoxy, which means something that you pass on. Exactly. To another, this can be, you know, a device um, that is not really uh, transformed, but is definitely something that is changing. Uh, mm -hmm. Constantly. Exactly, exactly. So um, I was always somehow interested in traditional techniques, but uh, maybe uh, because we visited a completely different culture, it made me look, uh, look at it with also a different way, like uh, learning a new technique that uh, it's not part of my culture, but I'm like uh, a visitor, I'm like uh, a viewer. I'm not really part of it. Uh, so we had uh, uh, together, we went together to a batik workshop and um, we spent a couple of hours there. And uh, I think this was uh, a very nice sharing that we had. You were very excited after this work. Again, the most important about this workshop, I think, was that uh, we had uh, the chance to spend some time. It was spending time together. It wasn't uh, so much about the production. Okay, it's interesting to see an old technique and um, um, how the ladies are working there for hours and hours constantly on a, on a piece of tech, on a, on a textile. Uh, but I think the most important thing was the time that we spent there and how we could focus on something. Because it needs a lot of concentration and attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, also this is something that I'm trying to focus lately in my work because uh, um, because we live in this world and we need to make a lot of things together, my concentration is very much damaged the last couple of years. So um, I would uh, 
I would like to to apply that kind of practices in my practice as a healing for me as well. <laughs> Maybe for others too. For others too, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of time and the time that we share or uh, spend with others or the time that we spend alone. And since the residency had a lot to do with time and what followed this residency period was also the pandemic and the lockdown. And I was wondering, how do you think about time right now? What, and what constituted, uh, constitutes a pause or a break? I see time as something very intangible, of course. And uh, uh, this immediately brings to my mind the relationships. So uh, time for me is very much connected to relationships that we create. And, um, and I'm trying always to connect uh, time with the present time, the past and the future. Uh, the, the, the past, actually. I mean, we, we don't really know the future, so we always relate the, the future to the past. Um, and uh, this is why I'm also uh, thinking of tradition in all this. It's, uh, uh, it speaks about time. And uh, one, uh, one point is uh, what we said, the time that you spend on something. And uh, uh, the other is like uh, how to shift the history. So to shift the time that has passed and what you bring to the future. Um, um, the pandemic was, uh, <laughs> was uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think uh, for, for me is, uh, something that will shift a lot of things and uh, it has also already altered altered uh, our thinking of time and relationships um, and I don't see I mean uh, during the quarantine for example I thought that it was um, a good chance to pose uh, from several things at the same time, I was working very hard for a couple of things that would uh, take place after the quarantine, but the other, they the, the never happened or they postponed. But going back to the collective work and mm -hmm. gradually closing this discussion, um, so in parallel to your own work, you're also running 3137 Cosmos and Paki that we mentioned before, how does the, the personal become collective? And where does your individual artistic practice stand in relation to your collaborative works? Um, I think uh, one part of my work, which is uh, collective, I'm talking about my personal practice, uh, maybe came out so um, organically because uh, we already collaborated with uh, Paki and Cosmas at the space. And um, uh, what we're doing at the space or as a collective um, uh, is uh, mostly centered to, to ideas that we uh, 
um, all have and sometimes we don't evolve in our personal practices and we want to explore together or um, we do explore them in our practices and we want to uh, to see what uh, other people's, other practitioners' um, reflections on them. Uh, the character of the space has changed a lot through the years. I mean, when we started the space, that there weren't really um, a lot of other spaces. Um, we, we just wanted to open our studio and um, work with other artists that uh, didn't really have the chance to show because they were young, like us. Uh, so we did some exhibitions or uh, some performances uh, or talks that wasn't also, the talks weren't some, wasn't something so common yeah. uh, a, a, a couple of years ago in Athens. And... Um, Actually, after, um, let's say, 2016, 2017, closer to document anyway, that uh, a couple of spaces again opened, and now actually they're flourishing. I mean, there are a lot, a lot of spaces uh, uh, from artists in the city. Uh, we started changing the program. Like we didn't, we didn't feel that we have to add something more on this level, like to make another exhibition or make another talk or make like there were already a lot of things going on in the city, and we did. Uh, we started doing more, uh, uh, let's say, research-based projects, like uh, uh, the one that we did about the um, the artists who worked during the 70s in Greece. And this was mostly because, um, uh, because of the lack of an institution that represented those artists in Greece, um, talking mostly about the museum, actually, that is um, still not working properly. And... Uh, or... Uh, um, uh, or a radio station that we did on 2015 that we um, tried to work with uh, collectives that were running around the area of Exarchia uh, and other social initiatives um, and artists, but it was mostly focused in the neighborhood. And now uh, we're actually uh, working again on a radio station um, that will run uh, in late November, that we want to go to invite uh, more, as, as many collectives as we can uh, and spaces that are running in the city and uh, understand why actually uh, there's uh, this need of uh, having a space. Um, why do people from abroad move here in Athens uh, and uh, choose this place. And we're also um, thinking uh, how artists have uh, to do with changes in the city regarding the, um, the housing issue, 
the um, the tourism, all this, um, we, we take as a case study, let's say. But anyway, our uh, uh, practice at Three Monty Seven very much reflects our concerns about the city, the city of Athens. And also it reflects your interests as artists while you also, you know, grow and develop your work. Yes. This space that also marks your time as people. Yes, yes, yes. No, I think all of us uh, think of our collective work as part of our personal practices as well. And uh, we also find the program of 3137 as uh, we see it as our collective base somehow. Okay. Um, one last question regarding uh, your experience of the residency has to do with your working habits. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking that um, repetition in the form of uh, the repetitive movements or patterns that are recurrent elements in your work, in your effort to construct this new language, um, is also perhaps a way to construct new habits because repetition is part of that. So mm -hmm. I was wondering how, um, how do you see this experience of breaking from our habits or creating new habits? That was part of the program as well. Like you say, uh, I think habits and uh, la the language that we use are, are very uh, connected things. Um, I mean, uh, for example, if we change the, some things on the language that we use or how we use our language, we can actually change uh, some habits. Um, the repetition is uh, uh, the repetition, of course, creates uh, creates a vocabulary. Uh, uh, the, uh, our habits are connected to um, our to our language. Like uh, uh, if we say that uh, every day we wake up and we drink coffee and we wash the dishes and then we go to work. This is part of, a, of a, our personal vocabulary, which is not actually very personal because a thousand more people are doing the same. So, it's a, so this is a vocabulary too. So I've never thought about that as a vocabulary. That's very interesting. The next step would be to make a dictionary, I guess. <laughs> right yes 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 why not well uh, I'm looking forward to to read your dictionary at some point <laughs> well I wanted to thank you for the wonderful conversation for looking back and sharing all these memories and uh, thanks a lot thank you so much thank you for listening if you want to listen to more conversations please subscribe to our channel you can find more about the UNASSE residency program and each participant at www.onasses.org. This series is produced by UNASSE Thanks to Nikos Kolias, the sound designer of the series, and to Nikos Liberis for providing the original music intro theme.